Crossover Appeal is a show that will sometimes have spoilers, but the hosts promise not to be jerks about it. Also, from time to time, Walt and Annie may get small details about the things they discuss incorrect, and they would like you to know that every time it happens, it is done on purpose to spite you specifically. Enjoy the show! Hey, everybody, and welcome to Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. And I'm Annie Cardi. Hey, Annie. Hi, Walt. Annie, what do we do on Crossover Appeal? On Crossover Appeal, we take two fandoms, pieces of media, mm -hmm. um, see where they cross over thematically, mm -hmm. make a whole world of fun for them oh, together, wow. and um, probably not make them kiss here. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of... I mean, no. I think we would probably have to break some laws in order to do yeah. so. And I feel like we are... In a good way, stretching the definition of fandom. Yes, I think you know? with this one in a way that that I'm I'm sort of interested to see where this goes. <laughs> you know what though? I feel like if I look at like fanfiction.net, there's probably some fandoms for for mine. Yeah, I th and I think I mean there is a case to be made that arguably yours has been seen by the most the most people of anything we have talked about. Um, if, like, middle like school, Harry Potter. If, like, okay, no, Harry Potter. Yeah, wins. right. Yeah. Star Wars. Harry Potter wins everything. So, okay, maybe I needed to look back Lord at my of back the episodes before I started yeah. making these <laughs> Annie, what are we talking about today? <laughs> so today we are talking about, we're crossing over Animal Farm and Young Frankenstein. Animal Farm. Bigger than cats. Hi Because there's cats. There aren't actually cats, are there? There's one cat. <gasps> There's a cat. There's barn cat. Oh, man. Well, I'm excited to hear about him. He's oh. fine. I didn't even include him in the character list. Oh, no. Because he's not a big character. Well, he's a tiny... Well, yeah, he's small. Cats are small. Smaller than pigs. Yeah, that's and true. And they play a big role. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, I'm I'm fascinated by this. So tell me more. <laughs> yeah, I know. About Animal this cat husbandry and <laughs> more on crossover appeal. Yay! Um, so Animal Farm is a political slat satire slash fantasy novel because talking animals, right? Yeah, like allegory. It's definitely an allegory. Yeah, but it's also like it's literally talking animals in the world with humans. Oh, that's true. So I feel like it is a fantasy novel. Yeah. I if feel you're like... going to classify Watership Down as a fantasy novel, you should classify Animal Farm as a yeah, fantasy fair. novel. I feel like, and I would be interested in Watership Down in this axis as well. Like, where is the line between fantasy and fable? Yeah. Like, what is the I think if I am going to put fantasy under, like, anything that is, like, outside the laws of the natural world Okay. Um, that is not based in science. So, like, science fiction covers right. outside of the laws, but it's, like, a science reason. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So there we it's go. It's, like, a real big banner for me. So guess what, George Orwell? Yeah. You're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> See you at the con, nerd. Yeah. Although, apparently, he was, like, not a real cool person. So. No, he was kind of a jerk. Yeah. yeah. So we won't see you there. No, don't come to the con. We yeah. have rules of engagement now at the con. Conduct. Yeah. Conduct, not yeah. engagement. It's not a battle. <laughs> Disengagement. It's not a paintball fight. <laughs> it could be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but if you have to sign up for it. Yeah, every, and everybody has to sign a waiver. Oh, yeah. And, like... It's a very popular activity, so there you could be on a waiting list. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you and, can't just like walk in. Yeah, and I feel like Orwell would probably sleep on it. He'd be like, "Well, I'll certainly they'll let me in. I'm George Orwell." And then yeah, right. Be like, no, Do you I'm know sorry. who I am? I'm sorry, George. You should just go shoot an elephant instead. Wow, really? No, watch people shoot elephant. He he wrote a, uh, an essay about watching people shoot an elephant. 
Oh, was it like the the lobsters essay where it was like this is not cool, or was he like, no, yeah, he was not, I love he was not killing a elephants. He, he was okay, not a, thumbs down. <laughs> well, you know, because Hemingway was all for that. Yeah, I'm trying. I think it's like the elephant had broken out; it was rampaging. Oh, around. that's sad. Um, but it was uh, it somehow tied into his views on government and society. Yeah, yeah. right. It, it was well, very I clever, mean, but... elephants. Yeah, they're great. Don't shoot them, please. Oh yeah, but also they're the symbol for. Some political oh, party. yeah. So government. Yeah. So there are no elephants in this farm, sadly. No. It's it's not an exotic animal's farm. No. Um, and that would be a real cool story, though. It would. <laughs> the metaphor just gets, like, really global Yeah, now. well, I mean, colonialization. Yeah. Like, that would be, that, see, that's fanfic you can write. There it is. Get on it. <laughs> Get on it, nerds. <laughs> um, so political satire, satire slash fantasy novel by George Orwell, um, inspired by the Russian, Russian Revolution and the Soviet Union under Stalin. Uh, the book was first published in 1945, just before the end of World War II in the UK, which I find really interesting because I thought it was published like during the Cold War oh, when yeah. everybody was like anti-Stalin. No, but was... Orwell apparently had hard a hard time finding a publisher because people still thought of Stalin as like on their side. Right. Like the Russians were still the good guys in quotes. Yeah, like, exactly. They were joining with us. I guess yeah. They, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a big surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the story follows the animals on Manor Farm who are mistreated by the farmer, Mr. Jones. Uh, Before he dies, Old Major, uh, a real old pig, tells the other animals about how humans are the enemy and they should stand up for themselves and animals are so great. Um, So inspired by Old Major's words, two other pigs, Snowball and Napoleon, take command of the barn and start a a revolt against Mr. Jones. The animals take the farm for themselves and rename it as, wait for it, Animal Farm. Animals are very inside the box thinkers. They are, but they've been inside a box for so long. Yeah. A barn box. A barn box, <laughs> also known as a stall. It's actually a uh, it's a monthly subscription service. <laughs> <laughs> sends you different barns. It just sends you different barns, different kinds of hay. You know. Oh, well, that's fun, uh, like a hay box. Yeah, they're conversation pieces. Yeah. maybe like little bits of wood that fell up uh, out inside the barn, like um, shingles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Things that came off. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe like like a door, ma- like mouse skeletons that oh, they geez. found in there from yeah. the cat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, who that's... we're still not talking about. Which... No, well, I'll throw them in there. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate Welcome. it. Welcome. <laughs> I love cats. Um, so the animals, including the cat, live under the seven commandments of animalism, which includes um, whatever goes on four legs or has wings is a friend. Yay. Um, no animal shall kill another animal. Great. With you so far. Yeah. And all animals are equal. Oh, well, this, sounds, yeah, this seems great. So good. What could possibly go wrong? Nothing could go wrong. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, but some of the pigs are already hoarding supplies for themselves. What a bunch of jerks. Total jerks. Um, Mr. Jones rallies some other humans and tries to take back his farm, but Snowball and the other animals fight them back. Um, Snowball is feeling real good and kind of wants to build a windmill to help the farm, um, kind of like bring it into the the 20th century. Mm -hmm. Um, But Napoleon, who's been raising a bunch of dogs to follow him, sicks his dog army on Snowball and runs him off the farm. Um, Presumably things don't end well for Snowball. Jerk move, Napoleon. Yeah, right. And like way to make the dogs the villain, Napoleon. Dogs are beautiful. Do your own work. Yeah. Um, So Napoleon takes command of the farm and pretends the windmill was his idea. Uh, The animals build up up the windmill, but it's wrecked in in a storm. And Napoleon blames the wreck on Snowball. He's like, this is all Snowball. He's lurking out there. He's lurking. He's trying to destroy us. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so Napoleon quickly devolves into a dictator. He sends the dogs after anyone who disagrees with him. He changes the Animal Farm anthem to be about him. And he write, rewrites Animal Farm history to star himself. Yeah. Um, super not cool. And like, I mean, it's feasible because there wouldn't be a lot of history at that point. Right. So and like, it would only take like an afternoon. Yeah. And not all the animals know how to read and write. Right. So like they can't kind of keep documents for themselves and pass information along. Exactly. Um, so the animals have another battle with neighboring humans, which injures workhorse Boxer. Oh, I forgot about Boxer. I know. It's real sad. Mm. Boxer still tries to work on the farm, but he ends up like collapsing from the exhaustion. Um, Squealer, who is Napoleon's right-hand pig, tells the animals that he's sending Boxer to a vet. But Benjamin, the old donkey, realizes that he's actually sending Boxer to the old glue factory. Not even like the new glue factory. Well, I'm I'm saying it's like, you know. Oh, the, the old glue the factory. The old glue factory. Ah, I, see, I didn't see the apostrophe. <laughs> well, I didn't have it in there and I didn't pronounce it the right way. I just like, but I do like that there's a certain amount of vindictiveness of like, we're not even sending you to the nice one. <laughs> no. This, this one is, makes real bad old glue. It's going to be store brand glue, Ew. not Elmer's. Yeah, fancy yeah. new glue. Horses, Insult. I don't think are in glue anymore no i don't think so that would be real awful they are in gelatin. like gel yeah, yeah. but just the I hooves oh uh, it's still kind of creepy so they also get the um racehorses when they come up lame if they are not if they don't have to be put down um actually get sent and most of them go to amish country and pull buggies oh good job guys yeah. so that's like most most amish buggies are sourced from racehorses that's who didn't make the cut that's fancy so, you know you though. get a nice pastoral lifetime yeah, that's a better story. Yeah, you get to say hi to Harrison Ford. Eat pies. Mmm, so yeah. many pies. Yeah. You got a quilt over you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's very okay, cozy. Okay, that's better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, they're sending Boxer to the glue factory. Napoleon uh, organized the sale so he could buy whiskey for the pigs. What? Pig like, whiskey? I know, right? This is dirty money pig whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> It's the name of the band I was in in middle school. I know, right? The, um, the Bluegrass Band. Yeah, the Bluegrass Band. It was up, but we were from Pittsburgh, so yeah. it was like, it wasn't that authentic. No, but, but you you had a great time, But though. it was right when Oh Brother Where Art Thou came out, so exactly. like, people were really digging what You we just put on down. some old overalls and yep. got it, grabbed a banjo and yeah. went to town. Called it a day. Exactly. Oh, so over the years, the animals continue to work without much benefit as the pigs take all the money from the farm. Napoleon and his crew now walk on two feet and wear clothes. The book ends with the pigs and the humans forming an alliance now that they're all the same. Get it? Real dark. Yeah, it is. It's. I remember like reading it and like it's the ending is very unsettling. It is. It's like, you know, the animals kind of look in the window and they're looking at all the, the pigs and the humans at the dining room table and, and they, they can't tell who's who. Yeah. It's, um, like a, it's real creepy. It's very like Black Mirror, but for animals. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Mm. It's like, what if animals, but too, but too much? much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. That really yeah. is the evergreen description of Black Mirror. Yeah. <laughs> um, too much animal. Too many subscriptions to Barnbox. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. They just pile them they up. They just keep coming. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, so there was, when I was in eighth grade, we had a real huge unit on Russian history for some reason. Because it's fascinating. It is fascinating, but it's like eighth grade history. Yeah, like, it's not why? the place where you expect to learn no, about Russian history. No, you, like, you expect to learn it in like, you know, sadly, like, you know, part of a civics class or like in a college course but for some reason we had this giant unit on russian history um and part of it was we read animal farm 
and um, you know had to like match up who was who. Mm-hmm. And um, we watched there was an animated movie, so we watched that in class, I which didn't is know there was yeah. An Oh, um, it was like from the 70s or something. Yeah. Um, and that actually ends with, so everybody's, you know, the pigs and the humans are around the dinner table and all the other animals burst through the door. So it's like, they're like, we're going to shut you down. Oh, they're going to have another revolution. Yeah. Um, which it was happier, they're frankly. Tear down this wall, the front wall of your house. Yeah. 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 So like, uh, that's the way I like to think that it's going to end. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, if it's how the metaphor did end up. Yeah, right? Yeah. Aw, good job, guys. Yeah, way to go. Yeah. The Berlin Wall in this case is probably like the fence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or the house. Oh, yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. Take it down because the pigs are in there. Yeah. Take it all down. Yeah. I have to say, I, uh, especially with Dirty Money, Dirty Money Whiskey Pigs, like I now have- (laughs) Dirty Money Pig Whiskey. Dirty Money Pig Whiskey. I now have residual guilt that my favorite whiskey is called Whistle Pig. (gasps) Oh, no. No. So. Well, maybe that's like you're you're whistling for it. the Go pigs. On. Like the pigs are not oh, to come. Yeah, yeah. I guess if they were gonna it, like, make it an Orwell reference, it would have been a little more apparent. Yeah, that's like nested under a few layers. Yeah, I really don't think that that this is Animal Farm related whiskey. Okay, good. Well, I'll continue to drink whiskey without guilt. Yeah, and and talk to your old. Um, Bluegrass friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We'll be connecting every From year or so. We try to get together and we just jam a little <laughs> yeah, bit. Yeah, right. You know, it's really nice in the summer. You just sit out and like play for the pigs. Relive old glory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the pigs don't like it. No. But, but they tried to take over the world. So, yeah. guess what, pigs? You're getting what's good for you. them. Yeah. Um, so for, for characters, we have not all pigs are bad. Um, <laughs> Thank you for that disclaimer. Yeah, right. Old Major, the pig who inspires the animal revolution but never sees it come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, Napoleon, a pig who takes advantage of the revolution to become a pig dictator. Uh, Snowball, one of the pig leaders at the front of the revolution, who is ultimately driven off slash slash killed by Napoleon's dogs. Snowball is actually, I feel like I have a soft spot in my heart for like Lenin. As yeah. a historical figure, because like because, because of snowball, yeah, he's a snowball, and yeah. like that's mostly what I know of Lenin. And I think like when you're matching up characters, like Lenin is kind of both a cross crossover for old major, because then it's mm-hmm. like he was the original theorist, and yeah, uh, and um, uh oh, who is Trotsky? The other, um, Trotsky is like yeah, like a crossover because of because he was like kind of. Um, run out by Stalin and ultimately right. assassinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh God, who is the other? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Someone else is yeah. a crossover for Old Major. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like at oh, least Karl Marx. Karl Marx, thank yeah. you. There we go. I was like, oh yeah, that yeah, communist right? guy, like that original guy, Mr. Manifesto himself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, ladies, I'm here, Mr. Manifesto. <laughs> Mr. Manifesto himself. <laughs> <laughs> dreamy oh i'll have you seeing red that wasn't a pun it was just, i guess he just makes them mad at him i guess so <laughs> mr manifesto is actually not a very good house guest no <laughs> i bet not no dreamy just like writing Keeps stuff and pasting it all like, over the towels in the bathroom yeah and you're like i all of these towels are for use and he's like no every room should have towels why do you have separate guest towels and home towels all towels should be for all (laughs) (laughs) we're really down a rabbit hole i'm sorry we really are it's a great night guys um there are no rabbits in the story oh no um so yeah 
Yeah. We have to be real small rabbits. That's true. Cats, cats are not usually that big. That's fair. Um, they all went to Watership Down. They did. They're fine. The adjacent fable. Yeah, right. They're allegory. like, we're having our own issues. They're doing great. They are. So. Um, so Squealer is another pig. He's Napoleon's second in command and a propaganda machine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Mr. Jones, a drunk and abusive farmer whose animals revolt against him. Uh, Mr. Frederick, a neighboring farmer who pretends to strike a deal with Napoleon only to pay him in fake money and who rallies uh, the humans to fight the animals again only to lose. Uh, Mr. Wimper, Napoleon's human gateway to the world of money and whiskey. Dirty money pig whiskey. Dirty money pig whiskey. (laughs) Brought to you by Mr. Wimper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, There's Boxer, a loyal company man of a workhorse who's ultimately broken by the amount he has to do for the supposed good of the farm. Mm -hmm. Not so much. Yeah, he's like the true believer character. Yeah, exactly. And he's just totally taken advantage of. Oh, the proletariat. I know. Um, There's Clover, a female horse who is suspicious of Napoleon's schemes. Um, And Benjamin, an old donkey who is cynical about the revolution overall and doesn't buy any of Squealer's propaganda. Um, and there's also, uh, they're minor characters, but Jesse and Bluebell, who are the dogs, um, and they're the parents of the dogs that Napoleon ultimately steals and raises to follow him. Oh, man. I know. What have, like, they, we what don't, have you wrought, Jesse and yeah, Bluebell? Yeah, right. Well, we don't hear a lot about Jesse and Bluebell. Um, yeah. So, like, I don't know what happens to them, but, like, the puppies are... Well, if they're, if they're making the KGB, then they must be very shadowy and mysterious to start with. They're very I don't secretive. think so. No, because the puppies were t- taken oh, that's when right. they were just puppies. Oh, no. Yeah. It's like that uh, Red Sparrow movie. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, the Agent Carter lady. Oh, yeah. Dottie. Yeah, Dottie. Yeah. He's basically the Red Sparrow. Like, yeah. yeah. Man, Marvel really loves that. Background. It's like Black Widow, too. Yeah. Is Red Sparrow part of oh, no, it Marvel? Isn't. Okay. It is just every, oh, yeah. Everybody just decided that it was the Black Widow movie they were never going to get. Oh, Which okay. is probably as close as it gets. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, themes. Um, the book is, you know, obviously an allegory for the Russian Revolution and the Soviet Union under Stalin. Um, so, that's just a whole big theme. Oh, yeah. Um, also, the dangers of totalitarian... Total in, to, I can't say that. Totalitarianism. Totalitarianism. Thank Yay. you. And related propaganda, um, even among things that seem like a good idea. Mm-hmm. Like, again, like all animals are equal. Yay. Yeah, like um, the corruption and perversion yeah, of ideals. Exactly. Um, the animals are abused and deserve better, but Napoleon and the pigs take advantage of the newly formed animal government to their own ends. Jerks. Yeah. And like, again, like the selfishness of the individual. So you yeah. can have these great ideas, but... There are always going to be animals or people who take advantage of situations. Like, yeah. why can't we all be Hufflepuffs? Oh, yeah. Hufflepuffs would really get it done. We would get stuff done. Like, we would all work together and everything would be fair and no one would have any problems. Yeah. But, I, yeah, the book is really good at, like, that sort of gradual morphing of the laws, especially. Like, you go from, like, all animals are equal to some animals are more equal than yeah. others. Like, it's just a very, like, insidious structure. Oh, totally. Yeah. Really and, cool. and pretty true to real life. Yeah. Um, things I like and think other people will like. Um, it's talking animals for adults. Like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. It's guilt-free talking animals. Yeah, exactly. Not that you should feel guilty about talking no, animals. No, you should always enjoy general. talking animals. Um, but this one will make you feel smart, too. Exactly. Um, also, yeah, the second point makes you feel real smart when you're reading it, at least if you're an eighth grader in their Russian history unit mm-hmm. in school. No, it made me feel smart. Too. Yeah, because it was like, oh, did you know that it's a metaphor? Yeah, right. It's They're all not, about this real thing that happened. Not actually animals. It was sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Also, Orwell has those real good uh, dystopian vibes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he did that real well. Yeah, sort of laid the groundwork for the Hunger Games at all. 
True. You know? Yeah. Dystopia starts here. Woo woo. Woo woo. Yeah, it's interesting that like Orwell was writing around the same time that Tolkien was writing and they were sort of, I feel like laying out a lot of the tropes and foundations of these genres that would become huge outside of themselves. Yeah. I'm trying to think because um, 1984 was written after Animal Farm. Uh It was like the following book. Were there other dystopian I'm sure like like H.G. Wells in The Time Machine had some flavor of that when he moved into the far future. But like I don't think it was in the same... That idea of like the really structured government. Yeah, that it's like we are seeing our government fall into this versus like in like a thousand years, things are going to be real bananas. Yeah, and I think in the same way of Tolkien with fantasy, I think there was a lot of that in sci-fi, but both of it was very relegated to pulp. And I feel like Orwell and Tolkien sort of brought genre elements into this mainstream literary circle, um, which is fascinating because Orwell was so much about the metaphor and Tolkien was so much about like, no, no, it's not an allegory. I'm not saying anything. Please stop talking. Yeah, I just really like tiny um, hobbits. Tiny little British people. Tiny little British people. And they may be a dragon every so often. Yeah, but they're running Mm. around with their fuzzy Mm. feet eating a lot. It's cozy. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that too. Yeah. Yeah. so yeah, tell us about the um, kind of cozy, yeah, uh, young Frankenstein. Cozy in its own way, yeah. um, I would say. So yeah, young Frankenstein is a 1974 farcical spoof by Mel Brooks, the master of genre-based satires, where everyone tells Borscht Belt comedy routine jokes, and it's my personal favorite of Mel Brooks's movies. Um, I think it is like peak Mel Brooks. Uh, yeah, I would agree. When he is the most masterful of his abilities and faculties and, and jokes. Um, it stars and it doesn't hurt that it stars an absolute murderer's row of comedic talent, uh, and it will never not make me laugh out loud uh, when I watch it because it's just a delightful, delightful film. Mm-hmm. Um, the basic synopsis of the movie is structured off of the Boris Karloff Frankenstein movie from the 1930s, uh, but it is set actually sometime after the events of that film. Um, so it's really very much set in the world of the Frankenstein movie as opposed to the Frankenstein book um, because it is replicating a lot of the tropes and a lot of the moments of the movie itself. Um, But in Young Frankenstein, we meet Young Frankenstein. He is Victor Frankenstein's grandson. His name is Frederick. He's a lecturing physician at a medical school, and he is so desperate to separate himself from his family's mad scientist legacy that he demands that everyone refer to him as Frankenstein. Uh, and he's trying to prove that he's his own man, um, which also includes being engaged to the tightly wound Victorian woman, Elizabeth, uh, who's played by Madeline Kahn. Who's a delight. It is perfect. She's so good. Um, all of, I was, when I was doing the characters, all of the women in this movie are so much better than their parts. Oh yeah. 100%. Like, I think is like both points to a strength and a weakness of Mel Brooks that he doesn't write female characters but he does trust female comedians right like I think he completely values female performers and Mm -hmm. and fully believes that they are hilarious yeah and Um, just lets them be yeah he's not like great you're the boobs here Mm -hmm. you go um but he's still he's still writing stories about men. Right. And like stories where like women are boobs. Like there's yeah. but they also like it's more that like 
okay, you're the boobs, but also I trust you to embellish this beyond that. And yeah. Oh, totally. Um, so yeah. Uh, in an effort. So we've got Frank, uh, um, Frederick claiming he's Frankenstein and not Frankenstein, which is complicated when uh, his ancestor passes away and he discovers that he is the inheritor of the family estate in Transylvania. Thunderclap, thunderclap, mm. lightning, boogans. Um, he's very unhappy about this, but he goes to settle his affairs in Transylvania where he meets the family servant, Igor. <laughs> Igor. Uh, uh, he meets a lovely personal assistant named Inga and the imposing housekeeper, Frau Blucher. Um, <laughs> yay, uh, Blucher. This, that joke took me forever to get that her last name means glue. Yeah. And so whenever she says it, horses get panicky because of the old glue factory. Yeah, right? So, I think like I didn't know that until I specifically looked up the trivia. Yeah. I think I think my dad might have told me, mm. but um, but yeah. Anyway, we've all, we're already doing the crossover with Animal Farm. Exactly. glue is in the mix. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's all gummed up and sticky. <laughs> oh, no. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> um. Frankenstein <laughs> glue is, is the glue that is holding this together. <laughs> there it is. Who would have suspected? Yep. It was the glue all along. Exactly. So Frankenstein plans to just kind of be done with this whole thing, but upon discovering his grandfather's lab, he becomes obsessed with the idea of continuing the original Frankenstein's experiments uh, with fairly predictable results. Um, we get a monster. Uh, once the monster is in the picture, Frederick has to deal with rabble-rousing town folk, a budding relationship with Inga, the arrival of his fiance from America. America, and how best to showcase to the world the majesty of his own creation. Naturally, the answer to that involves a tap number set to putting on the Ritz, which is Yay. one of the greatest scenes in cinema history. Oh, it's so perfect. Oh, it's so good. Um, yeah, I mean, plot doesn't particularly matter in a Mel Brooks movie, uh, but jokes do. And even so, I do think that this movie is Brooks writing the most sort of A to B plot oh, of all of his movies, where everything does tie in and actually characters have arcs within it, like characters develop and change. Yeah. Um, I think it has a similar amount of character development and interaction as Blazing Saddles, but I think Blazing Saddles is a much more discursive plot. And Blazing Saddles is so much more of a like a satire of western as a genre versus mm -hmm. this is like a a an adaptation of frankenstein yeah it's like, like laser it's, focused in on frankenstein yeah with like it's other... not like a whack it like it's not like abbott and costello meet frankenstein yeah it has like it pulls in references to the other universal movies in like the aesthetics but yeah it's very much straight up playing on frankenstein yeah. itself which helps with the plot for sure um, but also helping with the plot are the amazing characters played by amazing actors. Um, there's Frederick Frankenstein, uh, played by Gene Wilder, who I don't actually think was ever better. I like really? him better in this movie than in Willy Wonka. Really? Because, yeah. I mean, I feel like in Willy Wonka, he's so weird. Yeah. Like, it's like a menace. Yeah. Um, I, and then, like, a very so a softness as well. Right. Like, like I feel I think like his in range a, in Willy Wonka is better. Yeah. But I think... Um, I mean, his com comedy here is better. Yeah, and he's so of a piece with the movie. Yeah. I think in Willy Wonka, he's fighting the movie a little bit. Oh, and I don't know. See, that's the thing. I feel like the movie, like, is, is drawing off that kind of malice yeah. and gentleness. Like... It's a weird movie. Like it's it also is. it's a weird book mm -hmm. and a weird movie. Yeah. So like I think 
he's doing a great job with it. Oh, yeah. He's wonderful in yeah. it. But I think that I prefer him in this one. Right but on. Not that I don't like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, but uh, he's lovely. Uh, you have Peter Boyle playing the monster. So perfect. So ideal and great. Um, Marty Feldman as Igor, literally the part he was born to play. I love because him. what a weird looking dude. Yeah, I know. He is, <laughs> and he is hilarious. Right. Somebody who just like made a career off of how strange he looked, but was also just an amazing comedic performer. Yeah. Like, he has perfect timing. Apparently yeah. he did the hump thing on his own. Yeah. Like he started swapping it. <laughs> just for hump. kicks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, so fantastic. Yeah, he's so great. Um, there's Cloris Leachman as Frau Blucher, who, again, I don't think I ever really appreciated when oh, I was no. a kid, just how funny she is. Yeah. But like, I was thinking today about the scene where she's confessing about, about her relationship with Frankenstein. Yeah. And he was my boyfriend. Yeah, it's like the best moment. Oh my god, she and like she's such a character who's like so serious in mm-hmm. in the movie, but then it's like she gets those like hilarious lines yeah, and a, like it's a lot like Andre Brower in Brooklyn. Yeah, Nine, exactly. Where... Like you're playing kind of a straight man, mm-hmm. but like you you just get to drop these ridiculous lines. Yeah, which sounds so hilarious. Yeah, your dialogue is so over the top. Yeah. Um. There's Terry Gar oh, as Inga. Terry um, Gar. Again, I think. Uh, the most of anybody in this movie is so much funnier than the role requires on paper. Yeah. Like she's just a brilliant physical comedian yeah. and sells every line um, for what it's worth. And I, like for a role that's like, you know, you're the love interest, yeah. you're, you're sexy. Like she she has a lot of warmth there yeah. and charm. Like She's I, excited about everything. Yeah. And like you, you want them to end up together. Mm. Um. I just I have such a soft spot for Terry Gar. Like yeah. I watched a lot of Mr. Mom as a kid. So like Terry Gar <laughs> is like one of the moms in my heart. She's a touchstone for she you. She is. Yeah. She's Mrs. Mom. She is. Yeah. Um, there's Kenneth Mars as Inspector Kemp, who's sort of a Dr. Strange Lovian local I inspector. Got about great. him with his weird arm. Right. The weird prosthetic arm. Like his, his the whole thing is the physical comedy of the bit. Uh, and he sells it in a very minor role that stands out. Um, speaking of which, there is Gene Hackman as Blind Man. I don't think I knew that. Yeah. He's the Blind Man. So weird. Who is credited as Blind Man. Mr. Blindman. <laughs> Mr. Blindman. Um, private practice. Yeah, he gets one scene and he absolutely kills it. Uh, I think this would, I mean, it was, it ha- would have to be very early in his career. It might have been one of his first movies. Um, but he was a delight. Uh, and then, of course, there's Madeline Kahn as Elizabeth. And oh, Madeline she, Kahn is just one of the greatest comedic actors of all time. Yeah. Just, and she is routinely the best thing in anything she's oh, in. Oh, totally. I mean, she's so good. And she's on, great on Sesame Street. Oh. Like, that yeah. alone she was perfect in. God, Madeline Kahn. Um, but yeah, and honestly, like, it's not even that those are just the only main characters. Like, those are, for the most part, the only characters in the movie. It's a very small cast. There's a couple of bit parts that come in, and they get some yeah. cameos from old-timey comedians for, like, the Grave Diggers mm-hmm. and a couple other people. But for the most part, that's it. Um, yeah. It really manages to be a very intimate movie um, and be really, really funny. Um, yeah. Themes and fun stuff. I mean, these are the jokes, kid. Like Mel Brooks is a relentless joke machine. Um, just the pace, the rhythm, and the multitude of his gags is legendary and nonstop. Um, but so many of them work in this one, um, especially because of the second thing I love about it, which is fidelity to the source material. I think like like you were saying, mm-hmm. it's so laser-focused on Frankenstein yeah. and that aesthetic that 
it feels it builds a world for itself instead of just being total chaos. Like it feels contained within um, the story that Mm -hmm. it's telling. And it's a fan of the original Frankenstein movie and of all of those universal horror movies. So it's really spoofing from a place of love. And that I feel like moves it into a territory different than a lot of, especially Brooks's later stuff, which is just kind of like Mel Brooks jokes you've heard in this genre. Yeah. And it's like, like, okay, well, you know, it's a parody. Right. Like, it's like and now I mean, they're like, wearing togas. Now they're wearing this. Like it. And I mean, I love like Robin Hood Men in Tights for yeah. you know, but it's also it's less lasting because so much of that was like kind of a response to Prince of Thieves mm-hmm. as opposed to like, oh, I love Robin Hood stories. Right. And like uh, a lot more pop culture references yeah. for his later films. Um yeah, this one, Young Frankenstein, I think, feels very timeless because it's in dialogue with a movie that is timeless. Yeah. Um, and it's so good. It is. Um, the performances are my third thing. I mean, they're just amazing. They're a masterclass in different styles of comedic acting. Yeah. And they just mesh so perfectly. Like, you just get the sense that everyone was having a blast making this movie. Yeah, I would hope so. And, yeah. like, I, I would hope that, it, like, because it, it feels like it in the movie, I would hope that it was just the comedians and actors feeling like they had the opportunity to, like, do the thing that they were great at and that yeah. they love the most. They were just given license to play. Yeah. Um, and it's very collaborative, yeah. um, which is great. Um, as far as themes for the film, I mean, I guess be true to yourself would be the one. Uh, Frankenstein sort of realizes that he needs to own and celebrate his legacy um, in order to be accepted. Um, the same thing with like the monster has to accept who he is, which helps when you end up dating Madeline Kahn. Um, but also I think, Something that I really love in the movie is it, it highlights just how close humor and horror are together yeah. in storytelling. Because like, it's such heightened emotions. Yeah. And like scary. And it's all about timing. Yeah. And like scary things are so close to being funny and funny things are often so close to being scary. Yeah. Because you're like, it's really just the the pace at which you're delivering the truth of a situation. And like the background music. Yeah. And the background and the sound effects. And like if and you. the shadowy lighting. It's yeah. all in, it's a black and white film, even though it was during color movies yeah. because that's the aesthetic yeah um yeah well oh, it's great it is yay <laughs> um so yeah but we should cross these things over let's do it yeah so uh thematically um well i mean i think for for young frankenstein as well like there is also the theme of like carrying the weight of previous generations um mm-hmm. You know, trying to move past something, yeah, make something that is new. holding you down. Yeah, make something new, um, which the animals are definitely doing. Yeah. Um, they're trying to escape the, the burden of abuse mm-hmm. um, and living on a, a really um, kind of bad farm like this yeah. is this is a real bad life trying to escape that exactly yeah and I think the um, the, the the mercurial nature of the general public. Yeah, in there. You know, totally. there's a lot of rabble rousing crowds. Yeah, right. Lots of, of pitchforks. Yeah, you got to harness them. Literally. Um, uh, bread and circuses. The yep. sort of distraction of the populace. Oh, totally. Be, and be it through building a windmill or threatening about snowball yeah. or singing putting on the Ritz while you tap dance in a tuxedo. Exactly. I mean, one uh, goes right into the other. Exactly. I'm pretty sure there's a flaming windmill in Young Frankenstein. I I think, think they. So. Cha- I mean, they would. Ha- I'm sure that they do because yeah. it's such a direct reference. Yeah, that they w- I'm sure they chase him into the windmill. Yeah. So there we go. That's another there we go. One. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. This this is gonna what fit if these right movies, together. Were, what if these stories were already 
told in a shared universe. That would be great. Like you yeah. just did not notice that Animal Farm was going on right in the background. It's set in Transylvania. Yes. And like, yeah, the animals are like, oh no, our windmill burnt down. But in the background, you see them like hauling the monster away. Yeah, right. They're like, we'll use it for parts. Yeah. Four legs good, two legs bad. bad. No. Um, so yeah, I think I, I, I can buy that as thematic crossover. Yeah. So that's as close as we're going to get. Oh, totally. So, um, but yeah, how about how do these happen? If they so are, yeah, they are literally happening concurrently. I think they are next door. Yep. I mean, these could be the farm animals on like the Frankenstein estate. That's what I figure. Or at least like in the, na- you know, the, the neighboring. Yeah, um, the populace. Yeah. Well, like, you know, um, it's like sharecropping, whatever yeah. it is where it's like. The you, serfs. The like, serfs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's say like the Frankenstein land has mm-hmm. these serfs, one of whom is a Mr. Jones, which is oh, the most yeah. Transylvanian of names. Yeah. Well, um, you know, he sits at the bar with that guy from Counting Crows and then he goes to Transylvania yeah, and buys a farm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, like he's he's just been abusing his animals. Yeah. Um, real not good. Um and no one cares because um old Dr. Frankenstein is dead. Yeah, and so they don't really have a ruler yeah, right now. So right? They're, they're trying to figure out what is the next step for our self governance. Like what is our land going to become? Yeah. And so they're they're all very stressed, so they're taking it out on their animals. Yeah. I think they're talking about it a lot and around like, the animals. So and the no animals one's are, looking out for them because yeah. their their old boss is dead and before that he was a mad scientist. Exactly. So he wasn't really focused on proper governance. No. Um, so yeah, all these farmers are like alcoholic abusers. Yeah. Um, animals have it real hard. They're like, We're not gonna stand for this anymore. No. So they they're have the rebellion. Take over. Yep, they take over. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, because um uh, Frankenstein uh, doesn't want anything to do initially with um, the estate or mm-hmm. anything. He doesn't even care. He's like, yeah. I don't want to hear anything about this. It's don't not my problem. I'm going to sell this off. Yeah. Um, and then once he finds the old diaries, oh, yeah. um, uh, the book of life, like he's totally distracted by that. Right. So he's still not paying attention. So I think we're getting that autocratic rise yep. of Napoleon. Yep. But then I think like right at peak Napoleon. I think is when the monster shows up. Yeah. Oh, like, totally. Everything is back into chaos. Yeah. Right. And so like the windmill burns down. I think yeah. like the, uh, you know, the, the horses have reason to be afraid of the glue factory. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, of course, anytime Frau Luker shows yeah, up. Yeah, because they're like, do you hear they have a lady named <gasps> Mrs. Oh glue? <laughs> oh my God. Is she made of glue? Oh no, it's Mrs. No, she makes glue. She makes the glue. You. How does she make it? Here comes Mrs. Glue. It's like a legend. Uh, yeah, right. legend for farm animals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, what if the um, the police chief like lost his hand in a battle against the animals? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's seen some stuff. Oh, for totally. Sure. Um, I feel like uh, this is maybe getting into things like best buddies, but like Inga is has befriended some of the animals. Oh I yeah, I like. mean, um, you know, she loves around. a good roll in the hay. Exactly. <laughs> right. She subscribes to Barn Box for sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think. Um, she, um, yeah, she maybe doesn't have her own farm. Yeah. She's, she, you know, she's working for the the Frankenstein family. Um, mm. So she, she doesn't have any land of her own. Right. But maybe, you know, she, she goes to see the animals and she tries to bring fruit, food when she can. Yeah, she's trying to take care of them. I think she and Boxer probably have a connection. Yeah. Oh, totally. Oh. oh and Clover, the yeah. other horse. So, so this is a crucial decision point. Yeah. Is this a tragedy or a comedy? This, see, there you go. I mean, two sides. That's of true. We're right the on the point. razor's edge right now. Yeah. Like, in I this think... crossover, does Boxer still get sent to the glue factory? Oh, man. <gasps> what if? Yep. Okay. So the donkey knows what's up. Yeah. What if the donkey doesn't know everything that's up? Uh huh. What if he just hears them talking a lot about glue? Yeah. 
But it turns out that Boxer's actually going to live with Mrs. Glue. (laughs) (laughs) She's not going to the glue factory. See, I I was thinking another thing. Okay. So uh, Boxer gets taken to the glue factory. Okay. He he is slaughtered, but he's not glue yet. Okay. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Animals take him away. They... So, yeah, so I'm going to layer on to that. The glue factory is owned by the Blucher family. Of course. So we need further test subjects. And Frau Blucher is like, I have an idea. Yeah, got, well, I have access well, to Oh, see, all. I was thinking that the animals themselves, because they can kind of read now, or uh-huh. at least some of them can, they like find the book oh, of life. They're and getting they're, the book. they're trying to raise the dead. Oh, yeah. Man. So who's, who's spearheading it? Is it Napoleon? No, because I think Napoleon doesn't want people coming back from the dead. No, he doesn't. He, yeah, he doesn't want Boxer his to real, start talking. He about doesn't stuff. want Boxer to start talking. He doesn't want Snowball coming back from the dead. <laughs> what if Snowball's he, leading a revolution? I mean, Snow. So Snowball made it out. Yeah, Snowball didn't get killed by the pigs. Exactly, or the dogs, or the, <gasps> or the dogs. Yeah, yeah. some the dogs some by the animal. pigs. Yeah, dogs, yeah. pigs. Whiskey. <laughs> Dirty funny Dirty. pig whiskey. <laughs> you know how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think like maybe Snowball escaped and made it to the Frankenstein estate. Yeah. And so he's become like maybe Frobluker's a little weird. So she has, she takes him as a pet. Yeah. You know. So he's and been he's living not, it up. He's not going to be glue. Yeah. And like it's within the aristocracy. So like, you know, Snowball isn't perfect. I think no. he's still drawn to the the the, the comforts of Oh, life. yeah. I mean, at this point, he's, he's like, well, I mean, I got ran out of, of Animal Farm. Yeah. Like, I, I set up this animal society, and mm-hmm. then they ran me out. So then I think he's observing these these experiments happening. Yeah. And he knows that Frau Blucher runs the glue factory. Yeah. So I think this is his, like, he He's going to get the animals back. Yeah. He's going to bring everybody back and yeah. start a zombie war he's on like, Animal Farm. Yeah. Wow. Intense. I still don't know if it's a comedy or a tragedy. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think exactly it's one or the other. Yeah. I think it's it's sort of like Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, exactly. Where, like, it's it, very it funny, good, but, like, there's but violence. And real sadness. Yeah. There's loss, for yeah. sure. Man, I like it. Yeah, me too. I think that's cool. Yeah, zombie battle. There's a dance fight in there somewhere. I'm yeah. sure. Like, and I think it's again, it's happening concurrently to the the young Frankenstein stories. So oh like, yeah, everything that's happening in that movie is happening to the side of these animals oh, having this epic course. apocalyptic struggle. So we we've changed a lot with the animal farm story. Mm-hmm. To, does anything from the young Frankenstein story get affected yeah. by the events of the animal farm? Well, people? I think Inga could be a a, like, a good crossover. Yeah, Inga and Frau Blucher. Yeah, and Frau Blucher. I think like Frau Blucher maybe like it's like she loves Snowball. Snowball's yeah. the, the family pet now, yeah. so like maybe she starts to she sees Snowball stealing corpses from the factory, which. I feel like he that'd be hard to explain. He was my boyfriend. Um, but yeah, I think that like maybe she starts a part. She starts assisting. Yeah, you know? because like she's real interested in the science, right? And she likes Snowball better than she likes uh, Young Frankenstein. Exactly. So she's helping Snowball out a lot too. Yeah. And I think Inga is. Like, and Snowball can like basically talk to humans. Yeah, essentially. I mean, yeah, yeah they're they're interacting. They're interacting. Um, so yeah, and then I think like Inga is happy to have her friend back because Boxer comes back. Yeah. Um. So like when she she maybe she comes across them and is like, oh my gosh, this is you. This is bananas. Right. Like you've B-A-N-A-N-A-S. gone way too far. Yeah. Um, but then she realizes that like, this is a way to help the animals yeah. and she's like this, you know, 
this got re- the farm was bad under humans. Mm-hmm. The farm is bad under Napoleon. Like we're going to take the farm back. Absolutely. So what is the governing power in place? Like they don't go back to the aristocracy of like Frankenstein running everything, right? No, no. I don't think so. Maybe, yeah. um, I mean, maybe this is a much bigger revolution. Yeah. Like. It's the Transylvanian animal revolution of yeah. 1935. So would the monster find a better home among the animals? Oh, yeah. Like. Does he become a benevolent leader for them? Yeah. Like, and and he's, he you know, he doesn't have a lot of intellectual prowess. Sure. Um, but I think he wants to do good ultimately. Yeah. And I think he, he brings Elizabeth over to the pastoral joys of life. Yeah. So maybe know? they kind of start to run things and he yeah. knows how it feels to be an outsider, to be mm. abused and neglected. She has um, good business sense. She does. Yeah. Um, so maybe together they, you know, work with the animals to make this um, land really flourish. Yeah. And I think maybe like Frankenstein continues his research to make, but make the lives of the recently undead better. Yeah. You know, to improve and, the and process. And to improve um, animal lives in general. Yeah. Um, to really help with like farming mm-hmm. um, and agricultural yeah, he science. he goes into like uh, into ag science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Me too. He's like, they're starting like a hydroponics farm in Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, because um, I know in the, the book, like, one of the things is the cows are like, oh, we're going to be really glad not to um, ha- get milked because then we can feed our babies with the milk. Oh, yeah. Um, but then the pigs end up learning how to milk and selling the milk anyway. Oh, pigs, come yeah, on, totally. man. Um, part of me was like, George Orwell, are you a little vegan? Here. He might be a little bit vegan. He might be a little bit vegan. Yeah. Um, he might be a vegan if, <laughs> <laughs> if your political satire of the rise of communism includes pigs selling the milk of cows who want to use it to feed their babies, you might be a little vegan. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I mean, it just it trips off the this act writes itself. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if your main villain sells off your best horse to the glue factory, you, you might be a little, little bit. Vegan. You write a whole essay about watching an elephant get shot to make some political point or to other. You might be a little vegan. I love it. Boy, I bet George Orwell would hate that bit. I bet. Oh my god, you'd be like, you know what? I'm shooting an outfit. Yeah, that's it. Screw I'm so you. mad. Yeah. Um. But um. Oh, but yeah, so like maybe um, Frankenstein comes up with a way so that um, he can develop like non-cow milk, not like almond milk, but like milk that is milk, but it is not like from a cow that is supposed to be given to a baby cow. Yeah, and he could be on the forefront of the synthetic meat movement. That's true, you know, right? Like that would be real. He's and it's, very and it's in making, the line between death and life. Yeah, he's literally making life, and yeah. this way it would be like life at without the expense of taking an yeah, animal life lab grown steaks man that's pretty cool yeah this becomes a utopia yeah wow yeah. we did a good job we did. it took us a while to get there like there was a lot of darkness to go <laughs> yeah. through first and some zombie horses and, yeah exactly but i think you know once all the horrors once everybody once we've gotten a, a couple generations past all the terror yeah. and trauma yep. of the rebellion things are pretty okay it's much better and animals don't live as long as people so those generations are going to turn over faster yeah exactly everybody's yeah. going to be happy within like two or three years the tops yeah <laughs> um i'm very happy with this crossover me I like too it a lot. um but yeah 
if people want to spend some more time in these respective worlds, yes. well, why don't we give them some recommendations? Um, so more uh, for more upsetting systems of government, uh, try 1984, also by George Orwell, um, about a dystopian uh, uni- um, United Kingdom under the tyranny of Big Brother. Way too real. Hashtag too real. Pressure. Hashtag fake news. Oh, like God. literally. Yeah. So have fun, guys. Um, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury about a dystopian America in which books are outlawed and burned. Um, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, also about dystopian America in which an evangelical religious group has taken over the government and forced women into subjugation, including using some women as handmaids who are forced to have sex with high-ranking men and give birth to their children. And you enjoyed the series, too. Yeah, I really did. And I'm considering the book ends where season one ends. I'm really curious to see how this is going to go moving forward. Yeah, I need to watch. I need to catch up. Then watch the watch the series because I think it I was, was in very rehearsals well or something when yeah. you were watching it. So yeah, I've been it's been burning a hole and in like, my pocket. Elizabeth Moss is fantastic. Oh, she's so um, good. Like a really good supporting cast. Mm-hmm. I I feel like the changes that they made were very good for you know making it into a TV show. Cool. Um, so yeah, and again, hashtag too real. Mm-hmm. Um, for more about the Russian Revolution, um, I really like the Family Romanov Murder Rebellion and the Fall of the Imperial of Imperial Russia by Candace Fleming. And it's definitely more focused on the aristocracy, but like she kind of balances that with what the um, the everybody else in Russia was doing at the time, and yeah. how it was literally like the the worst poverty all over, mm-hmm. like people literally making dirt soup because they had no food, um, and just like illness running rampant, and like uh, massive anti-Semitism. Um, oh, yeah. And again, like looking at kind of what, how the the revolution came to be. Yeah, I feel I feel like that with Turgenev's um, Fathers and Sons. I read when I was in in college, and it was like it's sweeping literary work that's also mostly just about like what the conditions on the ground were like, yeah, and like right. what all these tensions were both politically and personally and, that led to to this. And this one is nonfiction. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, so, so it's actually so true. it's legit facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it's like a YA nonfiction, so it's very like approachable. Um, yeah. So you're not reading like 900 pages of just dry facts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although Russian history is always fascinating. It's so like you can't have a picnic without a massacre. Yeah, without like more than at least 300 people need to die every time yeah. something. But happens. But that's the thing they talk about it in this book, and it's just like, you know, people again like being at this edge of like survival, and, like desperation. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's, like, a fascinating time. Um, and, yeah, for, it's definitely worth a look at the real history. Mm-hmm. Um, but if talking animals are really what you're looking for. <laughs> this is really, like, two sides of the exactly. coin. Exactly. <laughs> you go on one way or the other. Um, try Watership Down, um, which we had previously talked about on the podcast, about a warren of rabbits searching for a home. Uh, the Story of Ferdinand, a picture book about a gentle bull who refuses to engage in bullfighting. And this story was actually banned in Spain um, after the Spanish Civil War because they saw it as pacifist propaganda. Like, Which is not like totally wrong. No. Oh, no. But like but the like, fact that it was like a, a dangerous a, a, book. Yeah. Like a darling picture book about this gentle, sweet bull yeah. that like – like they couldn't publish it in Spain until after Franco died. Yeah, it's insane. Like so weird. Yeah. Um, but wonderful. I like literally cannot read 
Ferdinand without like tearing up. I just oh, love that book so much. It's a much. beautiful, beautiful book. It is. Um, Charlotte's Web about a spider who rescues a young pig from slaughter. Um, I hate spiders, and Charlotte is one of my favorite characters of all time. Yeah, and I mm-hmm. mean, considering where the pigs wind up in in Animal Farm, right. she was taking a big risk. She was, um, but Wilbur, he's he's not that kind of pig. No, I don't think so. No. Um, and Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim um, about a mouse trying to save her family and who gets caught up in the strange world of mind-altered lab rats. Oh, yeah. The movie's great, too. And very disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> Just especially I if loved you it. happen to catch the final climactic fight in a motel room at 10 a.m. when you're eight. Well, and yeah, you need all the background of yeah, it. Yeah, no, it was weird. I didn't. I, didn't, I was not equipped <laughs> for that Mrs. film. Mrs. Frisbee lifting up her house with the little gem and old dude getting stabbed yeah and like his eyes rolling back yeah. and then turning white it's bad yeah yeah i mean it's a great movie i'm sure yeah. but i oh, i loved it oh little walt anyway so formative um, experiences for more formative experiences <laughs> yeah of with, the young frankenstein varietals yeah. um you can go straight to the source um the original frankenstein in the 1931 film with boris karloff is a great movie um similarly uh the young frankenstein references a lot of dracula from the 1930s with bella lugosi and really any of those universal monster movies the wolfman creature from the black lagoon they had sort of a house aesthetic that mel brooks has a lot of fun with in young frankenstein um also king kong gets pretty directly referenced the putting on the ritz scene is very much drawn from that um as well as nosferatu from 1922 uh, a silent film uh the adaptation of the book dracula um that is actually really pretty effectively creepy and cool because of the lead performance and uh, and makeup job. Um, it is also a really fun movie to watch and make gifts out of. Because it's true. It's so it's ridiculous. so silent. It's so silent movie esque. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of great big moments in it. Um, and also the books of Frankenstein and Dracula uh, are just something I'll always recommend because they're both brilliant in their own different ways. Um, so if you feel like reading really amazing woman creating the genre of science fiction read frankenstein and if you like reading really overheated victorian sex panic translated into sort of baroque gothic fantasy who uh, doesn't read dracula yeah like both of those things are squarely in my wheelhouse so go check them out um other Mel Brooks, uh, Blazing Saddles, I think, is a very, very good and fine and enjoyable film. Um, it does have some uh, bits and language that have very much not aged well. Uh, oh, yeah. But um, overall, it is about as racially progressive as I was as I would expect a movie by a middle-aged white guy to be making in the 1970s. Yeah, and like... Um, and has a lot of fun with... And I, um, yeah, I think part of it is also like a send up of how ridiculous like racial issues were in yeah. Western movies. Absolutely. But it's like, it's also by, I mean, he's a Jewish guy, but yeah. like you're uh, not a black person or a native American person. Right. And it's very, st- it sort of dives right into those things in order to comment on. Them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a movie that's not for everybody, but it has some great bits in it. Um, the producers uh, is another great film uh, as well as the musical based on the producers. <laughs> I love the musical. Um, and the movie has Gene Wilder in it again, yeah. as does Blazing Saddles. So all of the Blazing, all of the Gene Wilder Mel Brooks collaborations are worth watching. Um, the other Mel Brooks movies are fine. Like yeah, Robin they, Hood, Men in Tights is fun. Yeah, um, it he turns more into oh, um, History of the World Part One. Yeah, like um, that has some real fun bits to it. Exactly, I think it, they become much more hit or miss. Yeah, I think once you move out of the central core. Um, but he's he's a very funny man. Yeah, and he and he casts he's and trusts very funny people. Yeah, he's got very good bits, and then he has very good comedians in his films. Yeah. Um, 
other funny farces full of fidelity to their source material. Um, Airplane. Yay, the, Zuck the Zucker Brothers. Um, Airplane is even more loyal to its source material than Young Frankenstein is to Frankenstein. It is like essentially a shot-for-shot -shot remake of this uh, 1970s disaster movie called, I think, Airport. Uh, no, it was called like a flight something yeah. or other. But it's, but for every shot that they replaced, they just added a joke or eight. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, it's like like a lot of direct dialogue to uh, from it. Um, but it's the this because it's such of, a like a wacky oh, yeah, movie. It's crazy. Yeah. It's the dawn of Leslie Nielsen as the best deadpan actor. That's true. Um, of all time, I love the Girl Scout bar fight in oh, that. God, like it's so good. I I feel like I I saw that movie. Or at least parts of it when I was like younger, like too young to get it mm -hmm. all the way. Yeah. But like that part cracked me up. Yeah. Just like it's again, just a bit per, mil yeah. per minute uh, or a thousand bits per minute even. Um, Hot Fuzz. Oh, so great. Um, a perfect example of a movie that loves its source material deeply and I feel like has that, fun with it. Again, that whole Cornetto trilogy. It's yeah. just like, like totally loving the genre that it's sending up. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, like being able to like have fun with it and yeah. take it seriously, and and having a real style to it. Yeah. I think that Edgar Wright has a lot more style as a director than Mel Brooks does. Yeah. Um, but he also has the same sensibility of just like throw everything at the wall. Yeah. And you know, craft it and make it great. And like trust your performers. Yeah, exactly. Um, similarly, Clue. I think oh, is Clue. one of the most Mel Brooksy movies not directed by Mel yeah. Brooks. Um, just a really super fun farce. Oh, um, Tim Curry. Oh, Tim Curry. Uh, I would say both the play and movie versions of Noises Off, uh, the Michael Frayn play. Uh, it's just a super fun farce mm -hmm. about theater and sort of a fun send up of why theater is fun. Um, and then... I would actually recommend the Zombie Survival Guide, the book, as well as World War Z. Um, they're not, they're not funny, but they are. I, I would put them in parody uh, as as mm -hmm. genres because they are deeply committed to building this world where zombies are a practical concern and like dealing with how to deal with them. But there's something there's they're so straight faced that they're sort of funny. Mm -hmm. In a way, I think it's like how seriously it takes the the source material and what it talks about. Yeah. Um, but the zombie survival guide also like you will read it and you will immediately have your zombie escape plan mapped out in your mind as, as you, you do as you read. Yeah, you got to be prepared. Um, I mostly add them in because they're written by Max Brooks, who is Mel Brooks's son. He is like the good Hollywood son named Max. Between yeah. like him and Max Landis. Um, Which one is he? Max Landis is John Landis's son, and he's Which just, one is he's John a Landis? Ball. John Landis did uh, Blues Brothers and all sorts oh. of other things. Um, I mean, I love Blues Brothers, but yeah. it's like, dude, you're no Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> John Landis is good. He's done good stuff. But his son is, a oh, yeah. is not a good person. He's a dumpster fire. And he's a terrible writer. Um, but uh, also. And isn't, oh, isn't he the one who like also was like the hashtag me too? Uh, or is that my thinking of another director? I don't writer? think John Landis got wrapped up in that. No. Oh, Max, Max Landis, Landis, yeah. yeah. There's oh, been a, okay, lot of, yeah. a lot of oblique references, and I think that there has not been like an official thing. Oh, but I think I'm thinking lot. of someone else then, because yeah. there was definitely an official thing. Okay. Um, I may have missed not it as well. Um, yeah, he's not, okay. he's not a great writer at things. There's he was, so many guys He was the original awful. writer of the Netflix hit Bright, starring Will Smith. Maybe... Maybe I'm thinking of the right... Anyway. Maybe. Anyway, Anyway, so many men are awful. Yeah. Don't pay attention to Max Landis. Uh, nothing will make him more angry. Um, also, uh, works by other Sid Caesar writers. Um, I just love that Mel Brooks came up writing for Sid Caesar along I with Neil Simon. I love that Neil Sid Simon. Caesar's name is Sid Caesar. Oh, yeah. Like Sid how a great you didn't, name. You didn't have a baby and yeah. name him Sid Caesar. Like, I bet he, he sprung chose full it. Fort 
full force from. Or he decided he was good. He was oh, like, I today know, is right? the day I will be Sid Caesar. Yeah, right. And conquer this land of comedy. Yeah, it's, um, um, I came, I saw, I conquered. Yeah. But up, up, but up. Oh, I get it. <laughs> oh, oh. Um, his name was Isaac Sidney Caesar. Oh, wow. He made the right choice. Yeah. I think for like showbiz. Yeah. yeah. Sid Caesar. Yeah, nice, right. Nice it and just it's rolls got that off sharp the patter to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his show of shows was Neil Simon, Mel Brooks, Carl Carl Reiner, um, Woody Allen, who meh. Yeah, um, screw and, that guy. And lots of other comedy legends. But it's fascinating like reading them talk about being in that room because they each have such specific comic sensibilities. Yeah. And so like I think it was uh I think like Mel Brooks was the guy who was just throwing out jokes yeah. every moment and Neil Simon would like lay back and like craft them. Um, and so it was like different levels of approaches to comedy. Mm. Um, so it's fascinating to read about. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, you know, not all of those guys made it out of the next 50 years as decent human beings, no. but um, they made some good comedy in the meantime. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Young Frankenstein is good comedy. Young Frankenstein is a very good comedy. And Animal Farm is, this is a hot take. A very good book. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I haven't read it in uh, like several years. But... Yeah, but it sticks with me. Yeah, right? Like I remembered a lot of it when I was looking up the summary. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so yeah, that has st- it has staying power. It hey, does. this George Orwell kid might have known what he was doing. I guess so. It's a shame he was Except a Except for person. like the homophobia and, and yeah. being snakes. with his wife. And not Can being I able say to... that? Do we, have to, do we have to snake that out? We might. There might be a snake. Okay. <laughs> what a way to end an episode. Yay. <laughs> um, well, if people want to get uh, more content related to snakes bleeping or to animals and the farms they live on, where can they find it, Annie? Um, they can find all of our farm-related content. You can sign at, up for Barn Box. Yes, at um, crossoverappealpodcast.tumblr.com. Yep. Uh, you can email us your favorite you-might-be-a-vegan-if joke uh, yep. at uh, crossoverappealpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can share your um, Dirty Money Pig Whiskey songs on Facebook at uh, Crossover Appeal Podcast. Yep. And uh, you can tweet us your favorite old funny writer who's now a terrible person at Crossover appeal. <laughs> tell us which person you hate. Yeah, tell us who we shouldn't like anymore. Because, like, it's, seriously, I assume at this point it's everyone. You have to prove to me that you're a decent human being. Yeah, it's really gotten to that point. Yeah. Um, but hey, if we have proven to you that we are decent human yeah. beings, you want to listen to Annie? How can people demonstrate that? They can um, subscribe to us on iTunes and places that they get podcasts and also rate and review us because yeah. that's really exciting. We need those testimonials out there so that people don't assume that we're awful. I know, right? <laughs> um, oh, one day yeah. we'll, we'll show them. Absolutely. And specifically one day, two weeks from now when we will be back with a new episode of Crossover Appeal. But uh, for the time being, thank you all so much for listening and we will see you again soon. Um, this has been Crossover Appeal. I'm Walt McGough. I'm Annie Carty. And we are reminding you to, as always... Please ship responsibly.